You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1963rd edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 25th of January 2024. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts. The producer is Pat Needham and your readers are Christian Jenner and Tony Sandbach. We should also mention our processing team, who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Three weeks of chaos. Society steps up fight to keep West Suffolk archives in town. NHS couples scoop £1 million on Anton Deck TV quiz show. Council tax rise and parking changes planned. Three weeks of chaos. Flood hit roads still shut as thousands of gallons of water are removed. Calls have been made for a long-term solution to stop repeated flooding of a Bury St Edmunds road, which has been shut for three weeks, causing chaos for residents and businesses. The A143 Compiègne Way has been submerged with flood water since January 1st in the wake of heavy rainfall and storm Henk. Suffolk Highways had originally hoped to reopen the key route on Monday. However, the sheer volume of water, silt and debris that needed to be removed, as well as damage to the road and vandalised equipment, hampered efforts to clear it. The closure has hit businesses, caused significant delays for residents and has placed a burden on Great Barton, with HGVs forced to use the A143 and country roads instead. On Wednesday night, the southbound side of the road was clear of water after 12 tankers of water, equivalent to 72,000 gallons, were removed in one day. However, the northbound side was left covered in ice, with gritting required. Earlier that day, John Clements, Suffolk Assistant Director of Highways Service, told the Bury Free Press Compiègne Way was a priority, but was unable to say when it might reopen. At the moment, it's one of our biggest priorities, he said, We want to get it open. We recognise it as an A road. Its closure is affecting the local community and local businesses as well. Severing a key route in the network is less than ideal. We are not creating the problem. A lot of time and resources are being put into Compiègne Way because we have a full closure there. Describing the Compiègne Way issues as challenging, Mr Clements said once the waters were cleared, engineers would be able to assess what works were needed to reinstate the pumping system, clear silt from the road and repair defects to the road, surface and verges. It's difficult to say when the road might be used again. I I can't commit to when that's going to be, said Mr Clements. On Tuesday, Suffolk Highway said a potential option to remove the water had been hampered by a vandalised control gear which was needed to remove water from a storage lagoon nearby. While Compiègne Way is closed, Suffolk Highways has arranged for street lighting teams to carry out any necessary repairs to street lighting which might be needed in the area. Suffolk County Councillor Peter Thompson, who represents the Eastgate and Morton Hall Division, said there seemed to be scant regard over the impact 
of repeated Compiègne closures on the town's economy and residents' well-being. Someone should be held accountable for this, he said. Councillor Thompson said the road had bed needed raising with some sort of physical runoff created and there should have been proper investment to fix the issue a long time ago. It's a civil engineering problem, a building problem, not a pumps and pipes problem, he said. It needs to have a proper solution with proper spending because we're spending good money after bad on it. Maggie Dunn, chair of Great Barton Parish Council, said the closure of Compiègne Way had a huge impact on the village as increased HGVs, including empty beer lorries, were forced to use the A143 and country routes instead. The matter was discussed at Monday evening's parish council meeting. Before the meeting, I sat in my kitchen and counted the lorries. It was a quiet time of day, and I counted 73 HGVs in one hour, said Maggie, who lives on the B1106 Mill Road. There are awful potholes in parts of the village. Then you have lorries using narrow roads, but because the roads are not wide enough for them, they are not eating into the verges, and where you've got this space where the hard road surface stops. Mrs Dunn said the lorries also caused increased noise. Meanwhile, businesses have been impacted by the closure. A British sugar spokesman said that while the flooding problem was not on the Berry factory site itself, the firm wanted to support highways where it could in solving the issue, as it did impact vehicles entering the Hollow Road site. They said, We are extremely keen to see a longer-term solution to help address this ongoing issue and to see Berry Town moving freely again. Mr Clements said discussions would be had over any long-term plans for the flood-hit road. If we want to make it that Compiègne Way never floods again, then that is substantial investment, he said. In simple terms, raising the road would achieve that, but that's not going to get rid of the water. The road wouldn't be getting flooded, but the water would be going elsewhere, and it's not a quick fix. Or long-term, do we recognise Compiègne Way is prone to flooding and enhance alternative routes to make them suitable for the traffic. Society steps up fight to keep West Suffolk archives in town. Around 80 people will attend a meeting next week to further a campaign to keep West Suffolk archives in Bury St Edmunds. The Bury Society has arranged the invite-only meeting at the town's Guildhall on Tuesday, which will be attended by influential members from a range of disciplines, including history, archiving, archaeology and education. It will also include members of a number of town groups, including the Berry Trust and the Berry St Edmunds Tour Guides. The Berry Society launched its Hands Off Our Archives campaign alongside the Berry Free Press's Save Our History campaign last week, with more than a 100 people protesting outside the facility on Raingate Street. On Tuesday, the Berry Society will also be highlighting a Suffolk County Council Cabinet report from February 2023 in which it states there is no additional space at the public search room at The Hold in Ipswich for the full Berry Local Studies collection and that moving the West Suffolk branch to The Hold would be the least desirable option for its future. Martin Taylor, chair of the Berry Society, said... The show of support to keep the archives in Bury has been enormous. 
The news that there were plans to close the West Suffolk branch and to move the archives to Ipswich by the end of the year came as an absolute bombshell. And we haven't much time before a final decision is made on February the 15th. Quite simply, our heritage belongs to the town and we remain hopeful that Suffolk County Council will change its mind. Next week, we will be considering our next steps, including launching a petition and looking into possible alternatives in the town to house the archives where they belong. The West Suffolk archives range from original documents, including letters, reports, photographs, maps, plans, council and parish records, commercial records, historic collections, newspapers and personal items. They have been kept in Bury St Edmunds for centuries. The leader of West Suffolk Council has backed the fight to keep the historic archives in Bury St Edmunds. Councillor Cliff Waterman said he was fully behind the Save Our History campaign launched by the Bury Free Press and Hands Off Our Archives by the Bury Society. Councillor Waterman has now also written to Suffolk County Council calling for the archives to remain in the town and reinforcing the District Council's offer to help find a location. He told campaigners, I share your disappointment and indeed anger over the proposal by SCC to move the Bury St Edmunds archive to Ipswich. I fully back the campaigns to keep this important part of the historical fabric of our town where it belongs in the town. NHS couples scoop £1 million on Anton Deck TV quiz show. A Suffolk couple who won one million on a TV quiz show have spoken of the surreal and once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Helen and Charlie of the Bury St Edmunds area scooped the highest prize in the history of ITV's Limitless Win, fronted by Anton Deck. The presenters said the atmosphere in the studio was as electric as some of the gloriously epic Saturday night TV they had been involved with, such as Will Young and Gareth Gates in the Pop Idol final, as well as Susan Boyle and Diversity, on Britain's Got Talent. The couple scooped the life-changing amount after answering a question about how many years it had been since Blur beat Oasis to the UK number one spot with the song Country House. On winning £1 million, the couple, who have two children, said it's taking some time to get used to and still feels absolutely surreal. We both feel incredibly lucky to have had the opportunity to be on the show and then even luckier that we got the right questions at the right time and that we've walked away with the money. If we can do it, then I'm sure others will be able to win even more in the future. Helen, 49, is an NHS communications director and Charlie, 47, is an NHS finance manager. Charlie said they were going to take their time deciding what to do with the cash. We'll pay off our mortgage, and Helen has a significant birthday this year, so we're planning to go to New Zealand to see one of Helen's closest friends who lives there, he said. We also need a new, second-hand, car, which might now be a bit nicer than we were planning. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us, so we'll use the majority of it to set us and our children up for the future. They realised the scale of the moment when they locked in the answer for the £1 million, and the whole audience gasped, Charlie said. He is a big fan of both Blur and Oasis and saw Blur at Mile End Stadium in London in the summer of 1995, where he thinks they debuted Country House. The first people they shared the news with the next afternoon, 18 hours later, was Helen's mum and dad, who had been staying with them when they went on the show. 
Helen's parents only wanted to know the amount because they thought it would have been around the £50,000 mark. Their jaws dropped when we told them how much, Charlie said. They have been so supportive to us as they have all our friends and family, so it was lovely to have had that moment with them. Council tax rise and parking charges planned. A council tax increase for West Suffolk is being proposed, with the budget including some changes to parking tariffs. West Suffolk Council is planning a council tax rise of £2.99 per cent. I'm so sorry, can I start that again? Can we go back? Can we go back? I'm so sorry, I made an error there. I'm going to start again. A council tax increase for West Suffolk is being proposed, with the budget including some changes to parking tariffs. West Suffolk Council is planning a council tax rise of 2.99% in line with the government's advice for local authorities, the maximum amount possible. The increase would represent an extra 11 pence a week, or 5.76 a year, going to the council for the average Band D property. The council has also committed not to significantly change car parking charges, with small amendments being proposed. In general, parking fees would not be going up, remaining at £3 and £4 for two and three hours respectively, with the council keeping parking free after 3pm on Tuesdays. Parking in smaller towns would remain free. However, the council is proposing to abolish the £1 overnight charge for Bury St Edmunds, while extending parking tariffs from 6pm to 8pm. In addition... Following residents' requests for the increase in parking time at Cattle Market Car Park, the Council is proposing an hour's extension, making it £6 for four hours. These changes are coupled with a £440,000 car parking investment package, which will see resurfacing and additional electric electronical vehicle charging points to be delivered over the next two years. It is part of West Suffolk Council's budget proposals, the first proposed by the West Suffolk Progressive Alliance, which took over from the Conservative administration last May, for the next financial year, which addresses the £5 million gap left by national financial pressures. Council leader Cliff Waterman said the proposed budget represents an ambitious investment in the district while remaining prudent about the future. He added, we're very excited to present the budget to the public because it's a very positive one. There are no nasty surprises in there. It invests in West Suffolk's future. It improves services and it keeps charges low. Other investments proposed in the budget include a £13 million capital investment in improvements to parks, open spaces and leisure facilities, a £300,000 fund for Abbeycroft to protect against swimming pool closures and a £200,000 investment in the council's grounds maintenance service. The council's spending, Councillor Waterman said, would be supported by responsible investment, which did not put pressure on the council's reserves. In terms of borrowing, although the council does not exclude the possibility of doing it if rates are low enough, it does not have plans to do so for at least the next year. 
the budget plans will be considered by the Council's Performance and Audit Scrutiny Committee today. And now some other news. A landscape gardener decided to take matters into his own hands and repair potholes to help people out. Not content for the situation to continue any longer, Tom Lamb filled in potholes in the Avenue Great Barton on Monday of last week. Tom, 40, who owns Mint Groundworks, said the temporary fix, using crushed-up old tar, cost him £30 and took him 20 minutes, and he wouldn't hesitate to repair potholes again if necessary. He saw complaints about the state of the road online and also uses the route himself. I thought it's ridiculous with the roads looking like that and I would take it into my own hands and do the council's job for them, said Tom, who lives on Berries Morton Estate. I just did it on a whim and to help people out. He said he used a tonne of material to fill the holes near the junction with the A143. I just got my wheelbarrow and shovel and I filled them up as quickly as I could to get away from the lorries, he said. Tom, whose company does landscaping paths, driveways, has been a landscape gardener for more than 20 years and is in his third year of having his own company. While filling potholes is not part of my job, he said, the ones in the avenue were so bad and people were damaging their cars. When asked whether he would take it upon himself to fix potholes again, he said, if I had to, I would definitely, just to help out the community and get people moving. Speaking about the state of the roads in general, he said not great at all, everywhere really, especially down the lanes, just from the lorries. Councillor Sarah Broughton, who represents the Fornums and Great Barton on West Suffolk Council, said, well done him. I thank him really very much from all the residents of Great Barton and all the people who use that road. A spokeswoman for Suffolk Highways said its team carried out repairs in the avenue last week and further works were required at a later date. Speaking on January the 12th, she said, Due to a road closure being required to undertake the repairs safely, the remaining potholes will be repaired in the coming weeks. HGVs are reported to be using the avenue due to the closure of Compiègne Way, causing the road surface and verges to break up. Councillor Broughton said the potholes were of a dreadful size and it's unacceptable. All these potholes have been reported numerous times and I'm really glad to see the work is eventually going to happen, she added. After a successful run lasting more than seven weeks, the curtain has come down on pantomime season at the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds, helping to secure its short-term financial future. Snow White had its last performance at the Westgate Street Theatre last Sunday, having welcomed more than 25,695 people over 83 shows. Owen Calvert-Lyons, the theatre's artistic director, said, For regional theatres to be financially stable enough to be there for future generations, pantomime tops up the bank account to enable their survival for another year. To put that into perspective, at Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds, the income from this annual festive favourite will cover around one quarter of the total salaries and overheads for the year. So, in short... Without pantomime, there is no Theatre Royal. Now here's some statistics from the run of Snow White. Two and a half thousand ice creams were sold, with the top-selling flavours being chocolate, salted caramel and strawberry. There were 1,743 costume changes. Dusty Crevice, played by Craig Painting, had the most changes per show, per show at six, 
totaling 415 costume changes. 164 confetti cannons were fired, 43 schools visited, and 4,943 school tickets were sold. 1,218 programmes were sold, and volunteer stewards covered 581 shifts. Owen added, Pantomime is often the first experience a child may have of theatre, whether this be visiting with their school or with family. Studies have proven that young people who visit theatres as children are more likely to continue booking tickets and seeing shows throughout their lives. That is the power a pantomime has over its youngest audience members. Thanks to funding from Job Centre Plus, the theatre issued 69 tickets to families in receipt of universal credit. Funding from Bury St Edmunds Round Table meant it could give eight tickets to a local children's home. Meanwhile, other groups to enjoy the show included the Boys' Brigade and Girls' Association, G-Wiz, Nicky's Way, St Nicholas Hospice Care, Stowmarket Police Cadets, Suffolk Family Carers, Berry District Scouts and 14th Berry Brownies. The chair of a tour guides group has said he is thrilled to have been shortlisted for a prestigious award recognising the unsung heroes of England's tourism industry. Bury St Edmunds Tour Guides, which offers everything from daily tours of the ancient abbey to ghost tours showcasing the darker side of the town, is one of ten Visit England Tourism Superstar 2024 finalists. Adrian Tyndall, chair of Bury St Edmunds Tour Guides, said we are absolutely thrilled by this. We were nominated by the good people from Bury St Edmunds and beyond who we've worked closely with over the last few years. We were very honoured to even be nominated, let alone shortlisted. It is fantastic news, not just for us, but for the whole town. Mr Tyndall said the variety of architecture, some of which dates back to the Norman period, is a big draw for tourists to the town, and something they are keen to showcase during their tours. The group, in collaboration with Bury St Edmunds Guildhall, have also created a new guided walk about Bury St Edmunds in the Second World War, to coincide with the coming release of Apple TV Plus's drama Masters of the Air. Mr Tyndall said there is so much history attached to Bury St Edmunds. In the Middle Ages it was, just, it was famous not just in England but throughout Europe, which just puts it in a different league, if you like. We're very lucky that so much of the town has been preserved and we can share it. When people come to Bury St Edmunds we sort of see ourselves as ambassadors for the town. The ten finalists include Field Sport UK in Leicestershire and Emily Williamson of Pub Tours Limited in the Peak District. The public will be able to vote for their favourite on Visit England's website from mid-February. A petition calling on the government to continue cost-of-living support payments for disabled people is nearing 50,000 signatures. Started by Bury St Edmunds resident Thomas Howard in mid-December, the petition has gained traction from thousands of people online, including disability charity Epilepsy Action. Over the past few weeks, the petition has gained momentum and smashed Tom's initial target of 5,000 signatures within a matter of days. He said, I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the response. For it to have spiralled out of control in such a positive way has been overwhelming. There was a point where it had 15,000 signatures in a single day. Tom advocated for disabled people who may have higher energy bills due to medical equipment, 
and said although the payments did not go far enough, they went some way in helping those with disabilities. It is believed there are no current plans for future disability cost-of-living payments. Now Tom has given a letter to Bury St Edmunds MP Joe Churchill to be passed on to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt. A farmer has criticised a claim that sugar beet was fly-tipped at the side of a Suffolk road as uneducated and completely inaccurate. In a social media post, Suffolk Highways, part of Suffolk County Council, claimed a large amount of sugar beet was fly-tipped along Old Norwich Road between Claydon and Ipswich. Throughout the autumn-winter period, farmers pile up their newly harvested beet crop by the side of roads and lanes, ready to be picked up and taken to the British Sugar Beet Factory at Bury St Edmunds to be processed and turned into sugar. In this case, the beet was said to be blocking a cycle path. Agricultural contractor Rob Cutting of RJ Cutting at Barham near Ipswich criticised the description of piling beet beside the old Norwich Road as fly-tipping. The beet are always put there, he said. Whenever they grow sugar beet down there, that's what they do. The beet was piled up beside the road, ready to be transported to the sugar beet factory at Bury St Edmunds, he said. It's not our sugar beet, added Mr Cutting, whose family farms next door to the site. The pile was on an old cut-off road used by horses and cyclists, and is very wide at that point, giving cyclists plenty of time to move around it, he said. It's just uneducated. I've never seen anything tipped as neatly as that, he said. It's uneducated in terms of agriculture in, Su in Suffolk. It caused a bit of an uproar on social media yesterday. It's not harmed anyone, and it's not in anyone's way. The cyclist still had about 12 metres of road to drive around the sugar beet. There's no blocking anyone's way, he said. Highway workers leave road chipping piles in the same spot from time to time, he said. I can remember seeing them down there, the stones they put on top of the tar, said Mr Cutting. The whole thing is a farce. I think someone typed before they thought or didn't know the area. It clearly wasn't fly-tipped. He received phone calls from horse owners who were wondering if they could take some of the beet for their animals, as it was logged as being fly-tipped, but he explained it was just stored ready to be picked up and taken to the factory. Suffolk Highways said it was unaware that the produce would be left at the location and it was a live bus route and was on part of a cycleway. The farmer, John Latham, apologised for any inconvenience and the sugar beet was loaded up on lorries on Wednesday and taken to the Berries and Edmunds sugar beet factory. A Newmarket racehorse has been nominated for an award for his community work in the town. Papineau, a lifetime care ambassador at Godolphin, has been named as a finalist in the Retraining of Racehorses, which is ROR, Community Impact Award 2024. Papi, as he is known, is being recognised for making a significant impact on people's lives within the Suffolk community by providing equine-assisted therapy to local hospitals, schools and hospices. His standout achievement during his racing career came when he won the 2004 Ascot Gold Cup with Frankie de Tori. After retiring in 2005, he retrained and competed as a dressage horse before becoming a pillar of Newmarket's community. The inaugural Peter O'Sullivan Charitable Trust Community Impact Award has been introduced by ROR, British Horse Racing's official charity for the welfare of horses. 
Pappy visits patients at Newmarket Community Hospital and East Anglia's Children's Hospices, interacting with the young and elderly, their loved ones and NHS staff. Jolie Allard, East Anglia Children's Hospices, said of one of Pappy's visits last year, He was just wonderful, sensitive, intuitive and brilliant with families. Talk about the power of Papineau. Sue Smith, head of fundraising for My Wish at the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, said, We are absolutely thrilled when Pappy visits us at Newmarket Community Hospital. There is always a sense of excitement. He also brings a smile to the faces of staff and a welcome release when the day is a challenging one. On one particular visit, a patient was bedbound and unable to move to the courtyard to visit Pappy, so he gently put his head through the window so the patient could have a moment with him. Geraldine Jones, who cares for Papineau at Woodditton Stud, said, It would mean the absolute world if Pap was to win this award. I couldn't be more proud of him. He is the most kind, loving horse that I have ever had the privilege to look after. Over 200 nominations were submitted from the racing and equestrian worlds before a short list of 12 horses were then narrowed down to three finalists by an independent ROR judging panel. The winner will be announced at the ROR Awards evening on January the 31st. Views are being sought on a two-week half-term. An education trust with around 30 Suffolk schools is asking for views on whether or not to continue with a two-week October half-term break. Unity Schools Partnership this week launched a second round of consultation asking all staff and parents, carers, for their comments. Last year, schools throughout the trust trialled a two-week half-term in October after an overall majority of respondents from the first consultation agreed with the proposal. The plan was met with mixed views from parents, with childcare and the impact on children's education amongst key concerns. A second consultation process has now begun and will run for four weeks, with a decision expected to be made on Friday, February the 16th. Tim Coulson, Chief Executive of Unity Schools Partnership, said, We would encourage every staff member and parents across all our schools to take part to give us the best overall picture before a final decision is made. However, a letter from Ange Morrison, head teacher at Abbott's Green Academy in Berries and Edmonds, to parents and carers, said, Moving forwards, it would be my expectation to maintain our revised end time, but also consider how we can ensure that we support our families with further provision during the proposed two-week break. She said they knew that childcare was a significant issue for families who were concerned about the two-week break. We had a number of children attend the additional provision we, attend, we arranged and would look to extend this over the two-week break, she added. Care home residents have been proving you are never too old for the spotlight as they became stars of their own magazine. Manson House Care Home in Bury St Edmunds helped put together an edition of Stoke, a reference to Stowe Healthcare Group, which runs the home. The activity was inspired by actress Miriam Margulies, appearing on the front cover of Vogue at the age of 82 last July. The aim of the project Stoke was to celebrate the diverse personalities and life stories of residents living at the care home, whilst adding a touch of glamour and creativity to their lives.
The team at Manson House set up the photo shoot for residents at the home, who donned their favourite outfits, complete with picture-perfect hair and makeup to pose for the camera. The covers were completed with personalised headlines unique to each individual. Residents saw their efforts feature on ITV Anglian News, and Margulies even sent them a message of support. Ruth French, Operations Director at Stowe Healthcare, said, We believe that every individual, regardless of age, deserves to feel celebrated and valued. I saw Miriam's Vogue cover last year and thought this is absolutely something our residents can replicate. We wanted to challenge preconceived notions about life in a care home and highlight the incredible stories and personalities that live with us. One of the residents at Manson House, who took part in the project, said, It was a team effort for all of us. One of my friends here even let us borrow some of her accessories that matched our outfits. It was nice to see everyone dressed up. The constant clanging of a faulty manhole cover is driving Great Barton residents to distraction. They are calling on highways bosses to complete permanent repairs or move the cover on the A143 close to the park turning rather than the piecemeal bodge works repeatedly undertaken over the past 15 years. Villager Anne-Marie Hill described the long-running situation as a can of worms and said lives had been blighted by the faulty manhole cover. It makes a clanging noise with every car, and then every time a lorry drives past, it goes bang, said Mrs Hill. You can't sit out in your garden, and you can't sleep at night. People who visit ask how we can bear the noise. This is not a little clang. The noise travels right up into the park, and it's constant, constant, constant. She said repair crews repaired the manhole two, three, four times a year, if you scream at them enough, and that, but that increased traffic during the A14 reconstruction scheme was exacerbating the problem. I want to know how many times it has it been repaired over the past five years and how much money has been spent on it. It's a scandal, said Mrs Hill. In last week's Bury Free Press, reader Darren Phillips of Great Barton estimated the manhole cover had been repaired 10 or 12 times in recent years, with each repair lasting four weeks or so before the cover became loose again. He added, May I encourage the Highways Department to engage a very good chartered civil engineer to draw up a schedule of works so the repair is carried out properly, as this surely makes more sense than this piecemeal bodge. Maggie Dunn, chair of Great Barton Parish Council, said the council was well aware of the ongoing issue. Part of the problem is the repairs never get a chance to fully set. They, the highways, do it in a bit of a rush job, and lo and behold, it soon goes back the same as it was before, said Councillor Dunn. Mrs Hill is not the only resident to complain about this issue. The noise is a nightmare. They have my sympathy. Suffolk Highways was approached for comment. Rubber ducks left at flooding. A Suffolk road notorious for flooding has been described as a big concern after rubber ducks were left on the, wa- on the water to poke fun at the issue. A section of the A1120 at the roundabout near Stowmarket's Tesco has been a hotspot for flooding over several years and the left lane was closed due to Storm Henk. An unknown person placed rubber ducks on the flooded road which triggered a large reaction on social media for residents. Stowmarket Town Councillor Colin Lay said it's frustrating as a resident of Stowmarket that these are the main talking points on social media. The increase in traffic on that stretch of road is a big concern for local residents. 
The prolonged closure of one lane on this major road connecting Stowmarket and A14 is unacceptable, particularly with the imminent opening of the range. Suffolk Highways has been approached to comment on the issue. And now we'll move on to some letters. Record office outrage. I was horrified to read that the West Suffolk Council and the Suffolk County Council have decided to close the Bury Suffolk record offices. Thousands of detailed records have given avid historians valuable insights into our rich Suffolk history. By hundreds of local historians voluntarily studying these papers, we've learned how the Romans and Anglo-Saxons worked and lived. We understand medieval markets and how people earned their living. All of this has helped our understanding of how our towns and villages have developed, and that impacts all of our lives. Closing the Berry branch of the record offices will reduce access markedly. People will have difficulty travelling to and from Ipswich. Public transport is poor. To travel by car is environmentally unfriendly. Not everyone can use a computer, nor do they have access to one, which means these enthusiasts will not continue. All of this will mean interest from volunteers will fade. The future discoveries into the rich history of the county will be lost. From Elizabeth Cocaine, Chairman, Woolpit History Group, Woolpit. And this letter from Mark Joyner in Glemsford is also complaining about the potential closure of the record office. I am writing to the Berry Free Press in support of your campaign to save our local records office and to support efforts to keep local historic archives in West Suffolk. The whole mentality around centralisation is very narrow and ignores the fact that Suffolk as a county has a rich and varied history, even with different areas of the county being different from each other. I knew about attempts to remove Lowestoft's local archive to the hold, which is of great concern to me at the time. However, I was hoping that this wouldn't come to be the case for Bury St Edmunds and West Suffolk. As a resident of Glemsford, near Sudbury, I am able to easily access these local archives in Bury St Edmunds, and I believe that being able to locally access local history is very important. Digital reproductions are not a sufficient alternative to being able to readily see the real thing and have that available to people in person. There is nothing like seeing real history and holding it in your own hands. So I would implore Suffolk County Council to absolutely rethink and reconsider any plans to remove local history archives away from local areas, both Lowestoft and Bury St Edmunds, and consider the ability, and I'd say the rights, of local people to access local history, especially people who cannot drive and would be cut off from access in Ipswich. What good are these archives in the hold, where they are harder for a to access for local people and away from the areas whose history they truly represent? We must fight against this plan and support every campaign effort to stop this from happening. And another thought on records from Key Harbour in South Lopham. Digitised archives could be the answer. For many years now, I have never understood why all the documents held at all record offices across the UK are not fully accessible to view online. It just doesn't make sense to spend hours travelling to each record office with all the costs involved, when many, if not all, of these ancient papers could be digitally copied and viewed in the comfort of your home. Then it wouldn't matter where they were stored. It would also be better for the delicate documents, which get handled too much and damaged. Online is the future, in my opinion. 
And this letter from Viv Titterington in Haverhill is about bus cuts. Reading about the lady who has problems with buses not turning up, we can go one further. We have no buses at all serving our area. We only had one bus that would take us to the town, but that was discontinued last March and it hasn't been replaced. This is Spindle Road, Hawthorne Road and Park Road area in Haverhill. We can use the community bus scheme from Monday to Fridays for appointments or shopping, but this has to be booked in advance, of course, which means we can't get into town on Saturdays and miss everything that goes on there. Those who can will walk down Park Road to the main road to catch any bus from Cambridge going to the bus station. Coming back from town, there is no bus stop at the end of Park Road as there used to be. The bus goes straight up to Sainsbury's and we have to walk back, adding on another ten minutes or so before tackling the hill back to Spindle Road. If you have shopping, it's almost impossible for the elderly, such as ourselves, to tackle it. We can, of course, get a taxi. This costs fifteen or sixteen pounds return, but surely that would be better spent in our lovely town. I'm sure if we had just a small bus, the passengers would more than appreciate it. I sent a letter regarding our plight to Margaret March and David Roach last spring. No reply. I took another one down to the council office about three months ago to be handed to them. Again, no reply. I now hear that the stagecoach buses that were also cancelled are being replaced. As we have no buses whatsoever covering our area, is it too much to ask for a small bus as before to get the older generation into town? Uh, now a letter printed as name and address supplied. County Council does not care about West. Reference Mr Wick's letter last week on Compiègne Way flooding and the Cullum Road across the Butts really floods. I was involved in the design of the Cullum Road extension across the Butts and we, as West Suffolk County Council based in Bury St Edmunds, were well aware of the floodplain etc and designed it to cater for future high waters. Note, West Suffolk County Council, as opposed to Suffolk County Council, the latter based in Ipswich, who were not much concerned with anything west of their dock town. All designs after 1974 were carried out there in the main, and we can see the consequences of not knowing the idiosyncrasies of a locality in some detail, or bothering to find out. Similarly, the debacle of sending vehicles through the back roads of Great Barton, and the pathetic attempts to deal with the potholes, but not those that didn't meet their intervention criteria, despite being a few metres away from the deep ones. All this rubbish about the vandalised storage tank in Compiègne Way, and why are they pumping the water into tankers and carting it to Beckles to release it? The nighttime work on the Great Barton potholes was undertaken with few signs and no supervision from SCC, the latter being a vital fact in the appalling state of pothole reinstatements. Bury is considered as a moaning outpost and pothole work is kept to the minimum with little or no chance of the sensible solution of resurfacing a reasonable stretch of carriageway being done. Same story with the Bury Records Office. Proposed closure, another decision by those in Ipswich. They don't care about us and our local councillors should wake up and deal with this injustice. And this letter from Judy Fulham in Laxfield is headlined... Why no sugar beet clamps? Whatever happened to sugar beet clamps? In days gone by, when farmers knew the extent of their land and didn't have to use our highways as an extension of their farms, every farm had a large concrete pad. 
sugar beet was lifted from the fields and piled onto the concrete until it could be taken away without road users being inconvenienced in any way apart from the mud on the road. Now, to the detriment of our verges and road edges, sugar beet is loaded straight from the field onto lorries parked, often hazardously, on the side of the road. Many a time I have had to negotiate three, four or more sugar beet lorries lined up on the narrowest roads waiting to be loaded. One farmer locally simply puts up signs saying, Road closed today while loading beet. And now we have a farmer using the road, albeit a lay-by, as a sugar beet clamp. A road, moreover, that is for the sole use of buses and bicycles, not huge beet lorries. It is time that farmers respected our highways again and found the space on their own acreage to carry out their agricultural work. And a letter from Janet Douglas in Framlingham. Detection dogs. In lieu of my 80th birthday presents and a talk to Trefoil last week, I must thank those who donated to the £476 which I have sent to medical detection dogs, who do the most amazing work. They are trained as biodetection dogs, detecting many conditions, and medical alert assistance dogs, working with clients who have a number of conditions. Thank you. And this letter from Francis May was sent in by email. I see that at long last the potholes are now being done in some areas. Marvellous. Let's not do them in the summer. Let's wait until everywhere is flooded and we have freezing temperatures, so if the damp doesn't lift them up again, the frost will. Oh joy. How do people get these high-paid jobs? And now we have a feature which is tied into this year's 80th anniversary of D-Day. A Suffolk farmer is doing his bit to help this year's D-Day celebrations get off to the best of starts by helping provide one of the key ingredients. Glenn Buckingham, who farms the Helmingham estate near Debenham, has been growing marrow-fat peas for three years now. His 70-tonne crop of marrow-fat peas has headed off to Long Sutton in Lincolnshire to be processed. Marrow-fat peas are used to make mushy peas, the key accompaniment to a classic fish-and-chips dish. This year should be a high point for the British staple, as it will be used in celebratory meals up and down the country. Those organising the celebrations to mark the 80th anniversary of the D-Day landings on June the 6th are encouraging people to get involved by serving up fish and chips with mushy peas and light beacons in the evening. With the country subject to strict food rationing during the conflict, good meals were hard to come by, but fish and chips with mushy peas were considered a dish that was highly important for warmer morale. So much so that wartime Prime Minister Winston Churchill referred to fish and chips as the good companions, and fish, unlike other proteins such as meat, cheese and egg, wasn't rationed. When on active service, British troops even used the dish to distinguish friend from foe. If one shouted out fish, a friendly soldier would know to respond, chips. However, the seas around Britain were so dangerous that fishing was challenging, which meant that fish became very costly during the war. However, because they were cheap, mushy peas were used to bulk out wartime meals. Christine Bish of Country Women Countrywide, which provided the menu for this year's D-Day celebrations, said their brief was to create a simple, readily accessible menu to include quintessentially British food. 
During World War II, the government of the day, led of course by Winston Churchill, was committed to safeguarding the accessibility of fish and chips because the nation needed it to maintain spirits, explained Mrs Bish. But for many, fish was scarce and unaffordable, she added. Even if a family could afford fish and chips, it was likely that a single portion would be prepared, shared between parents and a number of children. It was even more likely that a portion or two of much cheaper mushy peas would be purchased to stretch the meal further. Pageant master Bruno Peak is involved in organising national celebrations to mark the D-Day anniversary. From humble beginnings, he has gone on to play an important role in organising key national events, such as coordinating the late Queen's Golden and Diamond Jubilees and her 90th birthday. He began preparing for the D-Day event more than a year ago, he said, and wanted to recognise those who supported the war effort at home, such as farmers and fishermen, as well as those who landed on the beaches. It must have been a very difficult time for them, both fishermen and farmers, he said. The role that the farmers and fishermen played kept the nation in food, not knowing if their loved ones would return. This is one of the reasons I'm very passionate about it. Glenn Buckingham, who is set to become chairman of Suffolk National Farmers Union, NFU, next month, hoped his crop might play a small role in the anniversary celebrations. It was the third year he has grown marrowfat peas, having decided to try out the crop to replace oilseed rape in his rotations. He grew it without insecticide, so is pleased that infestations are minimal, but admitted that this year's yield was disappointing. However, given that last year was unseasonably cold and wet, he is feeling philosophical. He hopes at least some of his crop will end up on plates on June the 6th. In his home village of Framsden, they will be lighting the village beacon to coincide with national celebrations, he said. I'm sure they'll be mushing pe mushy peas, he added. Around 156,000 Allied troops landed in Normandy by sea and air on D-Day. So organisers are hoping that a total of at least 156,000 portions of fish and chips and mushy peas will be consumed on June the 6th. And now a seasonal extract from the Water Meadows Diary by Gillian McCready from the Berry Water Meadows Group. The winter solstice, December 21st, should mean that mornings get lighter from then on, but due to a phenomenon called equation of time, which is to do with the Earth's axis and orbit, it starts getting lighter in the evenings first, not the mornings, until about 8th of January. After that, daylight is more noticeable in the mornings, and this is actually when birds make their first tentative tweets, the dawn chorus awakening. Certainly some of our volunteer bio-recorders, who note what they observe in the meadows each month, can now hear more birdsong. Blue tit, great tit, long-tailed tit, blackbird, robin, wren, song thrush, goldfinch, chaffinch, redwing, magpie and crow have all been heard over the hum of the A14. Birds with very high-pitched sounds, such as tree creepers and gold crests, are more likely to be seen than heard, and I was delighted to spot a pair of tree creepers this week. First a single bird scuttled up a willow, as they characteristically do, on the flooded backwater, and then on its downward flight it was joined in an energetic dance by a potential mate. Tree creepers often stick to one area, and it's possible generations of this family have lived here.
There isn't much activity from insects at this time of year, as they are cold-blooded, their bodies taking on the temperature of the surrounding environment, so they have to employ coping strategies if they don't migrate to warmer parts of the world. They need the energy of the sun to warm their bodies so that they can function. Many of them therefore spend the winter as eggs, pupae, chrysalises, or hibernating in soil and leaf litter. On sunny days, you might see clouds of gnats on the wing, their translucent wings glittering in the sunlight. These are male winter gnats performing a courtship dance to attract females. Hibernating ladybirds are easy to spot as they can be seen clustered together for warmth in the nooks and crannies of stonework on our abbey ruins in the recesses of the gravestones. The collective noun for ladybirds is a loveliness. Ivy is a good place to find hibernating ladybirds and other insects as the leaves are evergreen and shiny which will reflect the sun. It is thought that gathering together is a way of fending off predators and it helps them find a mate when they warm up. Those spotted so far this winter are harlequin, seven-spot and ten-spot ladybirds. In fact, ivy is a good plant all round, but much maligned. I will have a go at convincing you another time. Right now, I'm off into the sunshine to warm up the body and find creatures to delight the senses. An ice rink in Bury St Edmunds has raised thousands of pounds for a food bank charity. The Charter Square Ice Rink, a partnership of ARC Shopping Centre with our Bury St Edmunds, Bury St Edmunds Town Council and West Suffolk Council Leveling Up Fund, raised £2,500 for the ARC's charity of the year, Gatehouse. The free ice rink was open from December the 14th to January the 3rd, with an incredible turnout from all ages. Alan Hassel, ARC Centre Manager, said, Not only were we able to raise an incredible sum for Gatehouse, we were able to provide the town with a free, family-friendly activity at a time of year when everyone is feeling the pressure. Amanda Bloomfield of Gatehouse said, I'd like to thank all of those who made donations. The money will go towards our services to the community. A seven-year-old girl was overjoyed to receive a letter from King Charles. Amelia Farrow, who lives in Bury St Edmunds and attends Sexton's Manor Community Primary School, had written a letter to him to say he was sorry the Queen had died, and she thought he would make a good king. She also sent him a Union flag made of beads. Amelia's mum Katie said her daughter was overjoyed and amazed to get a reply, adding, she's very proud. The reply from Buckingham Palace says the King was very touched by your words of support, and has asked me to send you his warmest thanks and good wishes. When it was the late Queen's Platinum Jubilee, Amelia was the Queen at school in the make-believe ceremony. A refugee who moved to Suffolk to escape war-torn Ukraine is set to marry the man of her dreams after they met at a bus stop in her new village. Ina Sudareva, who moved to Lavenham from Odessa with her daughter Lesia in June 2022, met her now fiancé Roger in the autumn of the same year. The couple hit it off, soon attending Scottish dancing classes together and eventually going on dates. The pair are set to be wed at Lavenham Church in a ceremony that will include Ukrainian and British traditions. When she arrived in the UK, teacher Ina continued to educate her students online before they fled the bombing and she eventually took on a job at the Swan Hotel and Spa in the village where she helps to wash up. Ina said, When I came to the bus stop, I saw a man waiting for the bus and I just said hello and that is how we met. 
We spoke about the weather and how long we had lived in the village. I had been here one month longer than him. I suggested that maybe he would want to come to Scottish dancing, and he agreed, and we became friends. Ina's host, Nicky McAllister, said, Roger is just like a boy with stars coming out of his eyes. He loves her so much. Ina described Roger as a kind, caring, generous, funny and reliable man and said she is excited for the wedding and not at all nervous. I feel like I have waited for this man all my life. I found the man of my dreams, she said. Ina's wedding bouquet will be made up of yellow and blue flowers representing the Ukrainian flag and has been arranged by a villager who offered her services for free. Mrs McAllister said, Everyone has been very kind about this. Ina doesn't make a lot of money, but she is getting married and we want it to be nice for her. She has fitted in so well in the village, so people are very helpful. It has made Ina's very difficult journey to come to England end with such a happy note. Several of her friends who moved to the UK from Ukraine, as well as her daughter Lesia, who now lives in Norwich, will be attending the ceremony. Ina will be moving in with Roger after the wedding, but Mrs McAllister and her family have become her extended family, she said. A new climate cafe has opened in a Suffolk town for people to come together and share their concerns about climate change. The meeting, based in the vegetarian venue The Old School Cafe in St John's Street in Berry St Edmunds, is a regular place for residents to drop in and chat about the issue. The idea for the space was initiated by the Berry St Edmunds Quakers, who started holding a monthly silent witness on Angel Hill to draw attention to changes in the world's climate. One of the organisers, Claire Lord, said, I'm very concerned about climate change and biodiversity loss, and it's good to meet others who feel the same way and share about what else can be done when people work together. Upcoming Barry St Edmunds Climate Cafes will be held on Friday, February 9 and from Friday, March the 8th at the cafe from 11am to 12.30. The group is hoping to start holding events on Saturdays for those who cannot make it during the week. The events are free and there is no need to book. A town hotelier has thanked the creativity of a 15-year-old boy after he created a stencil of the site's main namesake for their coffees. Jez Chattel, owner of the Thomas Paine Hotel, said his customers absolutely loved Thetford Academy student Oliver Locke's creation, now putting the face of the world-famous revolutionary writer on their drinks. Thetford's most famous son, Thomas Paine, whose work played a part in the American and French revolutions, was born in one of the three cottages that make up the hotel. Jez said, Ollie came to me and said he had some good ideas for the hotel, one of those ideas being a coffee stencil of Thomas Paine, after he had seen similar things used in other places. So he went off and made it. Everyone has said that this is just a wonderful thing to do and are amazed when we tell them that a 15-year-old has done this off his own back. It just shows the magic that happens when passion meets creativity. A secret supper club is heading to Bury St Edmunds in February that is unlike anything that has come to Suffolk's foodie capital before. Fans of Wright's, number four restaurant at Abbeygate Cinema and Cheers restaurant, are set to be delighted by a new supper club and dinner trail that is set for Wednesday, February the 21st. Diners will enjoy a welcome drink and then three courses from the different venues as they venture on the secret trail around Bury St Edmunds. Though many plans have been kept secret, those who book will meet outside the Athenaeum on Angel Hill before making their way around the destinations.
All money raised from ticket sales will go towards Ormiston families' work supporting children and their families in the east of England. Maddie Cousins of Wrights said, As a cafe that hosts monthly supper clubs already, it's a fun twist to be doing it in this style. We hope to bring a fun, alternative offering to the menu, and we can't wait to see you all. Tickets cost £55 per person and are available via the Ormiston website. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Free News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Christian, Tony, Pat and Liz, it's goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.